This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I am joined again by Robert Brokamp and Diana Yoakum. It's true. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hey, party people. So this week, we have a very special guest. And I, I don't want to make it sound like our other guests weren't <laughs> special. But anyway, it's David Gardner, co-founder of The Motley Fool and one of the greatest investors of our time. He's here to talk about how he got started and his philosophy for finding market pummeling. I think I can say pummeling stocks. Yeah. 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 Also, Diana put our CFO's negotiation advice to work with Comcast, and she's going to report back on the results. All this and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. So here's what we're talking about this week, and it's from the old great lady, the New York Times. It was a piece by Sendel Malanathan. Sure. Oh, I always feel bad when I butcher people's names, but I think I came pretty close. And he is a Harvard economist, and he had an embarrassing confession to make, which was, Robert? Uh, Investing is hard. Um, And the interesting thing is he is very smart. Um, He's a winner of the MacArthur Genius Award. Um, he so uh, measurably, measurably smart, smart guy. dude. Uh, one of his hobbies is fixing old espresso machines. I mean, that's got You got to be smart for that, right? <laughs> that's actually, actually really. You got to know where you found that yeah. piece of trivia, but that's his, adorable. It was on his bio, and it says hobbies include googling and fixing old espresso machines. And I wonder. I wasn't sure if googling was one of the hobbies. Like, I think I was going to Google for a while, or was looking for the machines. Anyways, the point is, he's a really smart guy. What, by the way, his research found that uh, smokers who pay higher cigarette taxes are happier. Fascinating, huh? <laughs> but even this guy, once he finally decided, after putting it off for a long time, to sit down and look at his investments, he found it hard. Because you look at it, and you just don't know, why did I pick these mutual funds? Are they the right mutual funds? How have they been doing? He compared it to basically like getting in a taxi. Right when you get into a taxi, yeah. you pay the fare. You don't have to then expect that you have to tell the taxi cab driver, "Okay, now this is how you get to the hotel." He, he also says that you know if you have a phone, after a while, you can say, "Well, this is a good phone." You don't really know if you've picked the right mutual right. fund until years hence, and at that point, it's maybe too late. You're like, "Oh well, I had a bad fund, but what am I going to do about it now?" Right in the end of the measurement, yeah, with the electronics, every all of them have a standard by which right. you right. Measure he them. proposes having a standard yeah. and for what, mutual funds, and one of the and what people do when they're deciding which mutual fund to choose is they look at the one that had the best return the previous year. Right. And so they just they pick that one. Yeah. What happens after that? All the money flows in. The fund managers say, okay, we need to keep beefing up the returns of this fund. They start taking more risk. It starts to float outside of its initial investment um, thesis. Right. And, and there are studies that show that popular funds tend to underperform because once all that money comes in, the managers don't know what to do with it. They've already invested in their best ideas, and they just kind of start throwing yeah. the money around. Um, so that was one of the key takeaways for me, that a really smart guy found investing hard. One of the other things is, as he pointed out, we, we do have rules of thumb or supposedly simple solutions, but they end up not being so simple after a while. So one is to invest in an index fund, which makes sense. You invest in a fund that just mimics the S&P 500. Part of why they do so well, and they do beat most other mutual funds, is low costs. But what has Wall Street done? They've managed to find ways to raise the costs of S&P 500 index fund or other index funds. So even now, there are ones that will charge over one percent, whereas you can get for an index index fund, fund. Mm-hmm. and you don't. That's insane. And you shouldn't have to pay over 0.1, maybe 0.2 if it's the only one in your 401k. But even uh, funds from big banks like Wells Fargo and those folks will charge over 0.5. The really 
the high expense ones are usually sold by advisors. And this gets back gets to one of his other points, and that is, okay, well, if I'm having a difficulty here, I should go to an advisor. But one of the studies that he's done with a few other people is they found that financial advisors aren't really that much better at providing advice. They had mystery shoppers basically go into financial yeah. advisors, and they found that, first of all, advisors do what you mentioned earlier, Dan, and that they chase returns. Um, they don't always diversify the portfolio. And they had some of their mystery shoppers go in with perfectly good, low-cost, diversified portfolios. And the advisor changes it out. Why? Well, because that's how the advisor gets paid. Yeah. He or she has to create the commissions or the new investments. You don't get paid if someone comes to you with something good and you say, oh, that's great. You yeah. don't need me anymore. Um, so, uh, actually, and he mentioned there's a study by a fellow at Wharton um, where they got their MBA students to choose from among four funds. Turns out that they were all index funds, but they had different expenses and it started at different times, so they had different returns. But instead of these MBA students saying like, oh, here's the best index fund, I'll just choose this one. Many of them are like, oh, I'll just put a little bit in each one, or I'll choose the index fund that had the best return over this certain time period, even though they're the exact, exact same, same funds. Huh. Yeah. Um, so it is difficult. Investing is hard. Right. Investing is hard. So he end up, he ends up choosing a target date retirement fund. Right, which is basically it's actually a mutual fund that owns many mutual funds, diversifies it appropriately based on a target date. So mm -hmm. if you're going to retire around 2040, you pick the 2040 fund. It'll be a mix of stocks, bonds, U.S. stocks, international stocks. And, and he it, did it, yeah, and he did his homework here, and he right. looked at what is the fund actually doing, holding the, the companies it says it's going to hold. In this, yeah, various index funds, and he looked at the costs; they're very low. Right. Um, yeah. And those funds, they they automatically get conservative as you get closer to retirement, as what most people should be doing. Yeah. Just make sure again, costs are matter. So you look for ones from Vanguard. T Rowe prices are very good as well, because you could also find very expensive, very poorly performing target retirement funds. Just David Gardner founded The Motley Fool back in 1993 with his brother Tom. You'll remember the two of them on the covers of countless books, such as... The Motley, Motley Fool Investment, Investment Guide. Guide. <laughs> you have more than you think. Rule Motley, breakers, rule makers. Yeah. Uh, Motley Fool Investment Workbook. Motley Fool Personal Finance Workbook. Written with... Robert Brokamp and Deanna Yoakum. <laughs> yes, you'll remember them from the covers of these books. Often donning the gesture cap. David is the one with the hair, but Tom's totally cool with that. <laughs> so David's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and he's also one of the world's most successful investors. His stock picks and Motley Fool Rule Breakers, that's the investing service here at the Motley Fool that he leads. It has seen 94.8% returns compared to the S&P's... 49.8%. So, not too shabby. Mm -mm. Almost double. So, Deanna and Robert had a chance to sit down with David and talk about his philosophy for investing and how he got started. Well, hello, David. Welcome to Motley Fool Answers. I'm really pleased to join with two of my favorite fools. Thanks, Aww. Robert. Thanks, Thank Deanna. You. I, I, it's true. My mom will be glad to hear that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's start at the beginning. And how did you become an investor? So I started investing when my dad um, took the time to teach me as a teenager about the stock market. And it was a good thing that he was doing that because um, at the age of 18, the day I turned 18, I would take over the portfolio that he had built for me from when I was born. So 18 years of good investing on my dad's part was setting me up to have to invest, really. And so he did a fine job teaching my brother 
and sister and I and me. I'm yes, a, I'm an yes. English major. We yes. want to make sure we nail. I was nail. an English teacher. So. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and, and I'm so, an editor. He, <laughs> very harsh with the red pants. He so. taught me <laughs> and my brother and sister that uh, that you know investing is a great thing to do, and so I, it started very naturally. All right. So then we fast forward to well, not that many years after you turned 18, given that you're you know 22 now. <laughs> thank you, Diana. Thank you. Um, but what was going on in the world when you and Tom started The Motley Fool and, and thought, we need to do this thing, and we're going to call it The Motley Fool? Well, what was definitely going on in the world was that the world was going online. So, And I had been noticing that and enjoying the media myself, tapping in on BBSs, bulletin board systems. I remember I was in Charlottesville, Virginia at the time, and <laughs> 300 baht or whatever. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I could use my phone to make my computer reach something that's not inside my computer that's on someone else's computer and I can tap a note out and I can get a response. The world was moving online at a rapid pace and we saw an opportunity to take the thing that we loved and that I think we're called to do, which is invest and help the world invest better and to really use this new medium in ways that previously investors couldn't have done or known about or really taken advantage of. And that's really the story of The Motley Fool ever since, I think. Yeah. Well, I remember the first time I got online, it was via AOL, and I saw something on their welcome screen, and it said Motley Fools. And I clicked over, and I thought, wow, this is really, this is interesting. These guys are talking about investments they're making with their own money. And it was kind of unheard of then, except by people who were trying to hype stocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There were there were certainly people, especially penny stocks pumping and dumping um, happening, particularly on Prodigy for anybody who remembers <laughs> that Sears and IBM 50/50 joint sponsorship ownership um, uh, online alternative to AOL and CompuServe, the three big players at the time. But Diana, you had a much more legitimate job back then cuz I I first met you when you were working for Worth magazine, yep. which is probably when you were clicking in yep. and uh, which was very impressive to us that cuz we were just a couple of noobs sitting there with our <laughs> with our with our mice, you know, clicking around and building up a site. And uh, I remember meeting you. It was a financial conference or something. But yeah. anyway, there was a reason that you would have been tapping in back then because you were already kind of in the industry and looking around, hunting and pecking. Yeah, and it was. And I noticed that this is very unusual. And the, talking about stocks in this way was not done even in traditional financial press. It was a, a everyday conversation, not using the jargon, not trying to confuse. So that's that, what attracted me. And that remains very true. I mm -hmm. hope today. And it, the truth is, there's so many people that we haven't yet reached. And the best way to reach them is to get better and better at doing that. Yeah. And that's obviously a big part of your podcast. Right. So we would assign, or the world assigns labels like stock picker or uh, uh, portfolio manager or something like that mm -hmm. to you. Um, but being an investor is more than that. And I know when, when you talk about what is an investor, you define it kind of broadly. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, um, I mean, the meaning of the word invest, first of all, comes from Latin. Uh, I never did take Latin myself, but I do enjoy etymologies. And so the word investiri, I think, is the is the is the verb in Latin. It means to put on the clothes, to wear the clothes of. And so if you know a word like vestments, for example, that that's the same root. So I think that we think about things in those terms at the Motley Fool. It's not specifically always about money. In fact. The most important investment that all of us are making all of the time, even if we don't think that we are or meaning to be, is our time. And time is, in fact, our dearest commodity. 
Um, and so uh, we're investing a ton of time, all the time, in what we're doing. We're also, I hope, investing capital. If you have savings, it's a big thing for the Motley Fool. So many of our members, many listening today, that you have some savings and that you want to be investing that as well. But um, you know, the concept of invest is a beautiful concept. I really, I do liken it as as a sports fan to kind of putting on the home team jersey, wear the clothes of. You know the Green Bay Packers if you live in Milwaukee, and you know, and not switching your your favorite team every day, um, which I think happens too often in the financial world today. Wall Street mutual funds, there's just a huge amount of turnover. Very few people are wearing anyone else's home jersey and and, and rooting for the same team, even from one day to the next, let alone one year to the next. So this these are all very motley fool foolish capital F concepts. Uh-huh. Uh, so when you invest, of course, you want to know how you're doing, and the classic benchmark for that is the market. Did you beat to the market? Beat the market? Did you lose the market? Mostly, when we talk about the market, we talk about the S and P 500, and you can invest in that almost for free. You can buy it for no commission. It charges 0.1 percent a year. It's pretty easy to get the market. You have a history of beating the market, which is extraordinary because most people, professionals and amateurs, don't do it. How have you been able to do it? Well, I, I well that well I do think that that is true that many people either don't do it or don't even think that it's possible. Um, I I believe that there are far more people doing it than most people realize. Um, if you use um, our platform Motley Full Caps, you can see um, the transparent you know thumb up and thumb down from many of our members over a hundred thousand Motley Full visitors and members over the years who are just picking stocks. And you can see that actually a pretty good portion of them are beating the market. And I do believe that that's not merely luck. Some off small sample sizes, but some off hundreds and hundreds of picks. So, I don't think that what I'm doing as a market beater is an unbelievably rare or special talent. I believe that it's um, <laughs> one of the funny things about our, our industry, and you know this, Robert, better than most, is for some reason, the idea that you would be better than average when it comes to investing is deemed to be either pure luck or monkeys throwing darts at a dartboard or very rare. But any other profession that I can think of, no one thinks that about that profession. No one's like, yeah, you know, for you to be a better than average baseball player or a better than average surgeon, surgeon, yeah. that would just be luck. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't right. want my yeah. surgeon to just get lucky That's it. sometimes. Because, you know, the idea would be that no one can really be a Above average, uh, unless that were that were just luck. So I, I I think it's kind of a silly notion, but it is unfortunately um, often propounded um, in academic circles still today. Um, to answer your actual question, Robert, um, I I think that the act of beating the market often just involves thinking longer term than the market does, and I think that the market thinks short term, and so I think that we have a great ability at the Motley Fool to look past that. And that's true across all of our services. I have my own few, but you, you, you both know all of our different services and styles. But I think one thing that unites them, uh, two things actually, is we look longer term than most other players out there on the same field. And number two, we tend to look at the businesses as opposed to the stocks. Yep, that's important. That's a very important distinction. It's critical. Most people are looking at ticker symbols. They're looking on their monitors at graphs, charts. In many cases, it's computers doing it, not people, and they don't care what the business is. It's it's like a big numbers game, and it's all being scored in a very short-term sense. So I don't believe it's very hard to beat the market. I think you just have to have the right framework. And the good news is the framework that we have and use here at the Motley Fool is a real minority viewpoint. And as a board gamer, I know 
the strategy games that I love are often you win if everyone's doing one thing and you're doing something different. That's one of the best positions to be in, and I think that's what we're doing at the Fool. Well, that's why I don't. I never win board games. <laughs> but I don't. I don't really win often either. But I admire those who beat me. I just and I've learned a lot from them. I just get ugly competitive, and then yeah, I concentrate on every move. But as <laughs> as we talked about before, before we hit the mics here, I checked my portfolio recently, and it's been over a month since I did that. And it's actually kind of a good exercise for investors. You buy a company, as Warren Buffett has says, don't buy anything that you wouldn't be, um, that you wouldn't hold on to if the market shut down, stop trading for 10 years. And we actually recently had a, a three-hour time period when the New York Stock Exchange um, uh, stopped putting in orders. A glitch. And, yep. that, and that was a really great teaching moment. There. I agree. <laughs> I, I, was, I would be fine, by the way, if we just, one minute each day, all buy and sell orders were just matched. Let's mm-hmm. just call it high noon. From 12 o'clock to 12.01, all the pr- orders from the previous 24 hours are taken in and matched, and the prices are set. And that's that, if that were investing, I would love it more than what we have today, which is this real-time, algorithmic-driven, um, sometimes hype fest, and uh, where glitches, you know, uh, cost people big dollars because they're making money off trading minute to minute. Um, I, I that's not really to me how to think about the market. So I kind of loved that yeah. three hours, and and again, <laughs> I would be totally fine with the one minute a day each day mm-hmm. approach. So that's great. So talking about temperament. We're going to have you back to dig in deeper as to Wait, are you saying that I that I have passed the test? You've yes. You've With, made it past the first round. <laughs> Beautiful. So I will get to appear on the next show. You will be on the That uh, yes, is great. Promise. Okay. I I am excited about it. Yeah. Let's do it. What no, are we, we, love what are we it. going to talk about? We're going to talk about some specific stocks that you like. Okay. And, and your also, specific strategy. Yeah. Okay. So that people know kind of what the criteria are to for evaluating a company. Great. Not a ticker symbol. We repeat, not a ticker symbol. <laughs> Absolutely. So, thank you very much, David. My pleasure. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Robert. Full on. David has just launched his new podcast called Rule Breaker Investing, and you'll definitely want to check it out if you enjoyed the 10 minutes or so that you just heard. I think you did. David will be back with us next week for part two of this interview, where he'll talk about some stocks he's watching right now and what makes them rule breakers. All right, so a few weeks back, oh, maybe it was a few months back. Let's just call it a month-ish. The details don't matter. Nope. (laughs) So, a while back, we had Olin Douglas, the CFO of The Motley Fool here, and he offered us his best advice for negotiating bills, raises, all kinds of stuff. Being a master negotiator. So, Diana took all that advice... And finally, and finally, picked up the phone and called Comcast and, and said, "Listen, these are my demands." Uh. Boom! And? Can you meet them? No. No. So I, I did. I think I did an Emmy-worthy performance on the phone. Playing. Did you like cry and sob? Is that what you <laughs> no, mean? Playing nice, friendly customer. You were acting. I understand. I was acting, <laughs> acting. Uh, and using some of the lines that Olin had fed us, um, such as, such as, I'm hoping that you can help me figure out the best plan for my for me right now. I noticed that the prices have gone up on my cable bill, and so I was just curious, you know, what are the other plans out there, and let's see what we can come up with. Okay. I also started off by asking, "How are you doing today?" Which felt really weird when they when they say, "How can I help you?" and you answer, "How." 
how are you doing today? <laughs> they like they're, act startled. Like I've got some retired woman on the phone who's got nothing know. better to do today than talk to me. It's just like okay, that was awkward. Let's just move on. Um, so I've been getting all of these offers from Xfinity, blah blah blah, Comcast, and recently just got this one in the mail. In the mail um, for a complimentary account review. So I thought I'll start with that phone number since okay. this is a person who's ready to make changes in my plan. Um, so she's like, "Hi, thank you." Da da da. She the she said the best deal I can offer you, which was actually the ended up being the only deal she could offer me was Xfinity Premier for $109.99 and it was exactly what I had only more expensive by a few what bucks. A, what a deal for you. Yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> I guess some that, more of that. This is not your forte deal. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I looked at, so anyhow, <laughs> it includes the X1 operating system. I have no idea. Excellent. Uh, so she said, but but she really said this is the only thing I'm I'm this is the only plan I'm authorized to uh, to give you to offer you. So she said well, you should call customer service. She gave me the number. So I'm like, okay. So I called the next guy and said, "Hi, how are you today?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Anyhow, went through the same thing, asked nicely, "Can we see find you know, find a find a good middle ground here? What would be a good plan for me?" He started by saying, you're already paying a really low price. So to him, $104.90 was was low. Um, so then I went down the list. What I was willing to give up was the DVR. I haven't used it in forever. And he taps away on the computer says, actually, you know what? Uh, that's not going to save you any money. It's going to be the exact same amount. I guess I was getting DVR service for free. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I could maybe do without HBO also, or maybe not so many channels. Um Let's how would it how would would this work out if we did a la carte pricing, which of course is always more expensive. So that wasn't it, and I was glad to keep HBO because True Detective's on, guys, and it's awesome. Yeah, At least I've got I'm, I've got two I'm more. I'm waiting episodes. for someone to tell me it's worth watching. <laughs> yeah, so I hasn't quote, happened. Yet. I quoted him the new customer rates that had been mailed out, mm -hmm. um, and the one for eighty nine ninety nine sounded just fine to me. And he, of course, said, well, that's for new customers. And I hemmed and hawed a little bit. Bottom line, he said, I can give you a $10 credit every mm -hmm. month on your bill uh, for a year. So I end up paying ninety four ninety a month. It's a little more than that. And this is for time. cable? This is for cable, internet, internet um, cable including HBO, internet, blast, whatever that is. <laughs> And DVR, which and, is nice. and DVR, which I don't <laughs> use. Okay. Well, but so that's ten dollars off my current bill. It's fifteen dollars less than the original better offer that was worse. So, right. so that's good. So that's one hundred and twenty bucks. Yeah. You got you made for that whatever. So A plus performance call. by me, I think, and B minus results. Yeah. But I did it, and it was much. It was. You know what? It was much nicer being pleasant on the phone with them rather than combative. And at any point, did you say, you know what? I think I might just need to cancel. Did you do? Did you do that? Because I that's what I do when I call Comcast. I'm like, I need to cancel. So Olin said, "Don't threaten to do anything that you're not prepared to do." And we don't have a lot of options around here, so I did not threaten to cancel. Maybe when I work up the nerve. To actually finally months. leave Comcast, this abusive relationship. 
that keeps getting more and more expensive. <laughs> like, like, somehow I walked away, and they like have the deed to my house, yeah. and my I'm dog. giving them my dog, <laughs> and they're garnishing my wages. But I don't know. I think it was a good yeah, negotiation. Yeah, still have HBO. <laughs> so you got that. <laughs> got that going for you. So, so there it is. Okay. Well, I'm proud of you. Because the next the next time I think you I think that was worth it. 120 winners, nothing wrong with yeah. 120 bucks. You just you do it another year and you say, "Can I get it again?" Yep. See what happens. All right, success. Congratulations. <laughs> now take us out to lunch. Yeah, and you I, have some spending money. <laughs> <laughs> Only ten dollars extra a month. <laughs> Save it. That adds up. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Again, David Gardner's new podcast is called Rule Breaker Investing. You can head over to iTunes and give it a listen. But wait until we're done here, okay? Jeez. Hold on to your horses. horses. Our email is answers at fool.com. The show is... I need another adverb today for Rick. Um, Enrichingly. Enrichingly edited by Rick Engdahl with theme music performed and composed by Diana Yoko. For Robert Brokamp and Diana Yoakum, I'm Allison Southwick. Fool on.